Today, I'm only going to cover one sentence. So it's going to take us a while to go through it. But I want you to keep in mind the total context. Sometimes when we slow down, we start to lose context, the continuity of how it all fits together. So I don't want us to do that. I want us to to hear, because we're entering into the fourth warning uh, section of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. And if you remember anything about the warnings in Hebrews so far, they're stout. Yeah? So, so as we look at it, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to lighten that warning in any way, but I do want to take the time to make sure that we completely understand what it is that we're looking at when we consider it. So as we begin, we begin with verse 19. Now verse 19 starts with a word. It's important for us to remember. The word is, therefore, brothers. So if we got a word, therefore, brothers, what do we need to do? Yeah, that's right. We got to know what it's there for. We got to understand why is he starting with therefore. Therefore means he's wrapping up a point. So last time, um, if if you weren't here, I don't have enough time to go through it. But last time we talked about the atonement, what Jesus accomplished for you and I once for all. That there's one sacrifice for all time through Jesus Christ that enables us and equips us to have the boldness or confidence with which we can come before the Lord. Only through Him, not through us, through His finished work. So listen to what it says then in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Now it's just what we've been talking about this morning, considering communion, considering what it was that that Christ accomplished for us. So when we consider the atonement, just just back up for a second and think about the atonement, the, the way through which God made us at one with Him. At one meant. He He bridged the gap. We fall short, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't have a relationship with God apart from a sacrifice. That was the whole Old Testament system showing us there had to be a sacrifice for us to have a relationship with God. The Old Testament saints participated in that by faith looking forward to a better fulfillment one day which would be accomplished through the Messiah. Now Jesus Christ has come and His sacrifice has made a way. Now you and I, our sins by faith in Jesus Christ can be purged, cleansed, As far as the east is from the west. That's how far He will remove our sins from us. He paves the way that we can come before God. So this is what He's telling us here. He wants us to have assurance. Listen to what He says. Since we have confidence. Confidence, the same word. The Greek word is the same word for confidence, boldness, and assurance. All those kind of wrap up in the same idea that that we know that it's not me it's not you look if it if it's if your relationship with god is based on you and your ability to perform it then you're going to feel in and feel out and feel in and feel out no so what's the only way you can have confidence and assurance you can only have confidence and assurance if your relationship with god was a purchased possession given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. If it depends on Him, well then it's yes and amen. He paved the way. He 
tore the veil. He ushered us in so that we can have assurance, so we can have confidence, because my confidence isn't in me. You guys get what I'm saying? There's going to be a football game on today. And there's probably... You guys didn't know that? There's going to be a football game today, and probably, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I know a few of you. There'll be a couple of guys yelling at the TV as though they could make a better linebacker, certainly a better quarterback, or definitely a better coach, right? But the reality is, if I actually had to be in that game, Lord have mercy on my soul. That's in my mind, I might think I can do it, but the reality is I'm nowhere close. But I can have confidence in them because I know, I see, I recognize their ability is greater than mine. Now that's just a minor view of the reality that Jesus Christ is so much greater than us, which is what the book of Hebrews has been all about, right? As we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, what is it? That Jesus is better than the angels, better than the prophets, better than everything that went before. He's the best high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the temple. He is all these things and more. And because He is all those things, we can have confidence where? In Him. In Him. So then our confidence doesn't wane. It's not, I'm saved today, I'm not saved today. I'm hoping I'm going to be saved tomorrow. I don't really know. It is, no, I have confidence in Him. Jesus Christ, that He will do what He said. Right? Jesus said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Kyrios, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said, if you believe in Me, if you believe in Me, I will give you life everlasting. It's a relationship with Him that enables us to have boldness To come to the throne of grace. It's Him. So we want to recognize in the atonement we can have assurance. We can have boldness. Think about all the times He's told us this in Hebrews so far. Hebrews 3.6 But Christ is faithful over God's house like a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What are we holding fast our confidence in? Is your confidence in Christ or not? Because if your confidence is in something else, something else doesn't save. One thing saves. Jesus Christ. It's your confidence in Him. And who He is. Who He said He was. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of a need. Well, how is it that that we receive mercy and grace? We come to the throne of grace. And how do we do that? With confidence. Why? Because I'm coming under the authority of Jesus Christ, not me. It's not because I'm good enough. It's not because I'm pretty enough. It's not because I somehow made it into the top ten list of of wonderful people who deserve mercy and grace. It's solely based on the reality of who Jesus Christ is. I can have confidence. Hebrews 10.19, we just read, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. We can have confidence. Why? Because it's about Him. Not me. Hebrews 10.35 Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Now, how would I throw away my confidence? I would throw away my confidence by putting my hope or trust in something else. If I put my hope and trust, if my hope and trust in reality is in me and my performance, that doesn't save. You get that. 
It's only having our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. It's, it's not faith in and of itself that saves. It's not just random faith. You've got to believe. You know, it's, just, it's not random faith. The, the anchor to which your faith is anchored matters. What do you have faith in? Faith in a church doesn't save. Faith in prayer doesn't save. Those are all good things. Great. And you should, you should have faith and trust in those. But it's faith where? In Jesus Christ that saves. In Him, we can have confidence. In Him, I can know that when I stand before God, it's not me, it's Him that that is there. He is my intercessor, right? He stands for me. That's why I can have the opportunities to come before God. That's why I can. Why? Because not only does the atonement give us assurance, but it grants us access into the presence of God. Think about it. It, It's through Jesus Christ, through His atonement, I can have access to God. I can have access to the Father. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's what it is to be saved, justified, just as if I'd never sinned, I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we have peace with God. How? Through my abilities? What's it say? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access, how? By faith, where? Into the grace in which we stand. How do we have access to God? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and... How many people can come to the Father apart from Him? Can we all get there our own way? Can we figure it out? We'll do it this way. You do it that way. We'll all meet in the middle. No, that don't work. It's Jesus or nothing. And which Jesus matters, by the way? Yeah? The Jesus of the Bible. What does the Word of God say? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, it says this. But now, in Christ. So what's, what's, what's He anchoring everything to? Are you where? In Christ. You've got to be in Christ, right? If you're not in Christ then you're in yourself. If I'm in Christ, I have access. If I'm in Christ, I have all the blessings of Ephesians chapter 1. If I'm in Christ, do you abide in Christ? Have you by faith come to the Lord? It says, You who were once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Now think about it. I want you to understand what he's talking about. You who were once afar off were the Gentiles. And it was an illustration. You have the temple. There's a square, the temple. Outside that square, you have another square. That's the court of the priest. Outside that square, you have another square. That's the court of men. Outside that square, you have another square. The court of women. Outside that square, you have another square. That's the court of the Gentiles. See how far away you are? But you who were once afar off have been brought near because God tore the veil. He broke down the wall of separation. He made a way. Listen to what it says. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace. In other words, no more Jew-Gentile. We're all one in Christ. There's no division. There is no 
race but the human race in the eyes of God. Period. There is nothing else. I don't care what distinction you want to try to work up. There is no middle wall of separation anymore. All men are one in Christ. He says that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. How do we have access? Through the atonement that Jesus Christ. Not only do we have assurance and confidence because it's about Jesus, but we also have access to the Father. And not only do we have assurance and access, but we also know that we are accepted by God. And that's a big deal, because apart from that, I'm not acceptable. You spend... I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt. 30 minutes with me, you will figure out that guy's not acceptable to God. I'll do something you don't like. I'll think something's funny and you'll say, oh, I can't believe a Christian thought that was funny. <laughs> or uh, you'll see me, speak. I guarantee, you don't even want to be on the road when the snow is gone. Because there will be a little orange Harley darting in and out of everything it can get around. I'm chomping at the bit to get back out on the road. Which means, I will be flogging that beast like a banshee going down the road. <laughs> I, I am willing to acknowledge my issues. I, I have problems. The, if you're here and you don't have any, this is the wrong church for you, man. <laughs> we are broken people. I'm not making an excuse for that. What I am saying is, in and of myself, I'm not acceptable to God. I'm only acceptable to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes me acceptable. Now, that doesn't mean I can just do whatever I want, live how I want, be who I want. We're going to talk about that as we work our way through this section. There's some scary verses, no? As we work our way through these, we want to understand and we want to recognize that. But I know that I am accepted by God. How? By a new and living way. Because He has dedicated or consecrated me. He consecrated me by shedding His blood. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And He has made me right, acceptable in the Beloved. The, he, Ephesians chapter 1 has that phrase, that we are accepted in the Beloved. What does that mean? When I'm in Christ, I'm acceptable to God. Do you get it? When I'm in Christ, I'm acceptable to God. That's why the scripture tells us to abide in him. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? If a branch abides in the vine, what will it do? Bear fruit, right? It'll bear fruit because it's attached to the vine. I got to abide in Christ. I got to be with him. The character of this acceptance is this concept. It's a new and living. It's a play on words because it was always a sacrifice that made you right with God, right? So what is it that Paul writes us in Romans 12, verse 1? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies, how? A living sacrifice. You ever heard of one of those? Because in order to be a sacrifice, you died. It's kind of one of the necessary parts. So to be a living sacrifice, I have to be dead to me and alive to Him. And that, 
is what He calls me to be. He doesn't call me to go around trying to be the best Jackie I can be. He calls me to be a living sacrifice. Die to me, live to Him. Die to me. It's not about me. It's not about my desires, my wants, and my failures. Not, that's not the focus. What's the focus? Him. That I might know Him. And the fellowship of His suffering. Being conformed into His death. That I become more and more like Jesus Christ, right? It's a new and living way. Whereby I'm not dead, I'm alive. To live for Him. This is what God has accomplished in this section. That He has accomplished it all. How? Through the curtain that is His flesh. Mark 15.38 says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now that curtain was the thickness of the span of your hand. So spread out your fingers, that's how thick that curtain was. And when Jesus died on the cross, that it didn't just, you know, it just was getting old. Nuh-uh. That sucker was not ever going to come apart. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Father reached down from heaven, and it didn't take Him all that much effort. And He tore that curtain from the top to the bottom, saying... Now you have access. But only one way, through His Son, right? Through His Son, we have access. So what is it that He's calling us to do? What is He asking us to do? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, which is His, which is his flesh, and, verse 21, we have a great priest... Over the house of God. So since these things are true, we have a great priest over the house of God. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He's our priest, right? What's the Bible declare? There is only one person in the priesthood of Melchizedek. Who is it? Jesus. Why is he the one person in the priesthood of Melchizedek? Because he never died. He never was born. He's eternal. Because he doesn't have beginning of days or end of life. He is made a priest forever. You only get a new priest when a priest dies. Jesus never dies. He's the only priest. He is our priest of the house of God. Over the whole house of God. So just as he's given us these two verses, just look at it. Therefore, brethren, we have confidence. Go into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. He made for us, he opened through the curtain, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's done all these things. Then, verse 22... Let us draw near. This is all one sentence in the Greek. One sentence. There are three let us in this section of Scripture. Three calls or exhortations by God, of God to us. Since all these things are true, we have the atonement of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in Him, so thereby we can have access to God. We can have assurance. We can have access. We have acceptance in God. We have a great high priest who is over the whole house of God. If all these things, and since all these things are true, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, the first thing you're supposed to do is draw near to God. The very first thing He calls us to is our response. And our response is... Don't miss this. It's a desired communion with God. Do you want 
communion with God. Because that is the first thing he's asking us to do. Jesus said, I've done all this. This is all done. Finished. And now my response to him is, well, what do you want from me? And he says, I want you to draw near. That's the first thing he tells us. I want you to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to want me. That's what God says. I want you to want me. A true heart. Sincerely. Genuinely. Not, you think God don't know fake? You fake me out. You can, you can fake every man out. That's for sure. You cannot fake out God. So as we by faith, full assurance, right? Why? Because we have faith in who? Jesus Christ, right? We have our faith in Jesus Christ. We are going to draw near, but we're going to draw near with a true heart, real heart. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and what will happen? He will draw near to you. Ever feel like God's a long ways away? I can tell you who moved. It wasn't him. Draw near to God. Look, all of this understanding, don't divorce it from the next section of Scripture, which is scary. This section of Scripture is saying, hey, draw near. Let us draw near to God. That we have our confidence. For God is absolutely able. And our heart is sincere. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now unto Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our confidence is based on God's ability. Our confidence is based on God's promises. Let us draw near with a real and true heart. But also, not only is He calling us to have confidence to come near, but He's also saying there's a cleansing, right? There's a cleansing. Having our, our, our hearts uh, purified. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies washed in water. There's a cleansing that takes place. Why? Because we are what? Sinners. We're sinners and we need to be cleansed. Our hearts need to be sprinkled clean. I just want you to meditate for a moment on this scripture. Psalm 66, 18. I love how the ESV does it. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened you think about that? If I had cherished iniquity, if I love my sin, God doesn't hear me. Where's that love supposed to go? To Him, isn't it? Isn't our love to be to Him? Isn't that what He means when He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you? Come near to me? So if I regard iniquity, if I cherish iniquity, if I'm holding on to sin thinking how wonderful this sin is, and you know what? Jesus will just forgive me. You know, I might 
be wrong. Well, not about God's ability to forgive, but about your ability to be forgiven. If I love my sin, God won't listen to me. That's why there are so many things that are lines drawn in the sand today. Well, can't I have my sin in Jesus too? Can't I have my sin? I love my sin. I love the way I am. I love what I'm able to do. And I just want to stay in my sin. And I can have it all, right? Well, Psalm 66 says God doesn't listen to you. If you love your sin. And that feeds into the warning passage that we're headed toward. So we have full assurance in a sincere heart. Why? Because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. How was it sprinkled clean? In the water of regeneration. What do I mean by the water of regeneration? When we come by faith to Jesus Christ and we confess, we come to Jesus Christ and we repent. We're, when we come to Him, we're saying, I'm leaving my sin and I'm coming to you. You can't, you can't get there carrying it with you. So I can confess my sin. I can confess that it's sinful and I don't love it. I want Jesus more than I want it. And I've had, I don't even know, I'll just go with a hundred. Let's say hundreds of people in my office, especially guys who are struggling in addiction. They're in addiction and chains. And I had guys sit there and they're struggling. I can't get off of this and I can't stop it. And I go, brother, tell me what's going on. And he said, I love this more than I love Jesus. I can't stop. And I say, I can't help you. Because if you love the sin more, and I don't think you got him. No matter what you pray, there's a point in which we turn our back on sin and we turn our face toward God. Because if you have your face toward sin, which part's pointing at God? Which part does he want? He wants your heart, man. I can't give him my heart without giving him my face. I got to look toward him. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 36. 25. I just want you to hold on to this because this is what I mean by the water of regeneration. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So God does all that work. The only part that I come up with is the willingness to turn away from it. I don't want it. I want you. That Jesus Christ would be my treasure. That which in my life I value above all other things. That's what it means to draw near. We are cleansed. Our hearts Sprinkled from an evil conscience by the water of regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives me what? A new heart. My old heart wants sin. Does your heart want sin? My old heart wants sin. I need a new one. How do I get a new one? 
I can't regard iniquity in my heart while I'm crying out to Jesus saying, God, give me a new heart. i got to say, I don't want the sin. I hate that sin. I want you, God. I want you. Give me a new heart. You think he'll do it? Let me tell you something. God wants you to have a new heart more than you do. God wants you to have salvation more than you do. No greater joy can a father have than to have a connection with his child that wasn't there before. I don't know how old Joe was anymore. I have Alzheimer's too, Barry, so... I tell my kids it runs in the family. Mom's got it. I'm sure I got it. I'm married to... What's your name? (laughs) I'm going to pay for that one later. I don't know how old Joe was, guys, but for Joe, when Joe was three years old, he was diagnosed as autistic. He, He only knows how to communicate in inappropriate ways. I don't know why that is. It's the brokenness of men. Uh, and proof that everyone has a sin nature, even ones who don't function the same way we do. But never, never, for years and years and years and years, not one time did he ever look in my eyes and connect where we have a conversation. Never. And I was pretty sure that's just how it was going to be forever. And like I said, I don't remember. I can't give you the date and time. I know where I was. Sitting on the, on a couch in the living room. And God's the only one who knows why. Joe runs in a room, jumps up on my lap, looks dead in my eyes. And said, I love you, Dad. So that, at that moment, if he asked me for anything, <laughs> I'd give it to him. What makes you think God's not like that? What makes you think if you climb up in God's lap like that, if you look into His eyes, one thing that, that, that the king of all the universe desires from His children, you give Him that. What do you think happens? But you can't have that moment with your arms wrapped around your sin. You cannot have that moment with your arms wrapped around your sin. You gotta give it away. Let it go. Or that sin is gonna lead you into judgment. And trust me, you're not gonna like next week if that's you. I'm giving you a week to get it square, so next week's not so scary. <laughs> get it right. What's the second, what's the second let us? Look at verse 23. Not only let us draw near, but let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. What are you holding on to? What is it that you're clinging to for all your life? Because that better be Jesus Christ. It better not be a job, a house, a relationship, because all those things can pass away. It better be Him. It better be Him. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? That my greatest treasure is Jesus Christ. So let us draw near, let us hold fast. What are you holding fast to? 
You guys know how they hunt spider monkeys, right? Chain a box in the bottom of the forest. Fill it with marbles. Put a little hole in the box. Monkey can stick its hand in that hole all day long. Pull its hand out that hole all day long. But the problem is, he can see in the box that there's these pretty colored marbles. And so the monkey sticks his hand in a box and grabs a fistful of rocks. Now what's the problem? He can't get his hand out. So he will drive himself utterly bonkers, jumping up and down like crazy with his hand in a box, holding on to a bunch of marbles, waiting for a hunter to come by from a nearby tribe to whack him on the head. So they can put a monkey head on a table and eat his brains, or whatever they do with monkeys. That seemed like a bad thing, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> How many of us are that monkey? Won't you let go of the marbles, dummy? Because the dude's going to come whack you on the head. Get your hand out of the box. Because in a couple of verses, God's going to say, if you don't get your hand out of the box... Big deal. Let go of the marbles and hold on to Jesus Christ. The marbles are going to get you killed. Jesus Christ is going to give you life. And life more abundant. Let us hold fast the confidence, the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. I could see if he wasn't faithful. I could see if he was breaking promises all the time, and I'm telling you, hold on to him, and you're saying, why do I want to hold on to that guy? He, he, he hadn't kept one promise to me yet. Jesus ain't never broke one. Not one. He who promised is faithful, guys. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's faithful. There's always a way out with God. You may not like it, there's always a way out. You know what most of the time it's going to require you to do? Let go of the marbles. Get your hand out of the box. What sin are you holding on to so much that you're willing to, to suffer the destruction of your life for? Just let it go. It ain't worth having. So much better. To have Him. So much better to have Jesus. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful and He will surely do it. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He's got you. Let go of the marbles and hold on to Him. He's the hope. He's the hope. Look, you let go of Him, what hope you got? 
The only thing the devil is able to do, and the only thing his minions are able to do, is make your life worse. You know, my life sucks so bad, my husband left, my wife left, the dog died, my truck broke down, all these things happened in my life. You know what, I'm just going to start drinking. Well, that'll make it better. Right? Immediately it gets better. Oh, wait a minute. No, it didn't. Then I got DUIs. I lost my job. Now all I want is to drink. I'm drinking. My liver quit working. Oh, no. Now I'm dead. Well, that was better. Well, you should hold on to that for hope then. Make that your hope. Or maybe you should make your hope Jesus Christ. Because He delivers. He delivers. Let go of the marbles. Okay, the last let us. So we got a, 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 a call from God. What does God want? He wants communion with Him. Then He wants a strong commitment. Hold on. Hold on. Everything we have. The last let us is a loving consideration for others. Look what it says. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A loving consideration of others. Consider. Remember that word? Think deeply about how you can encourage other people. How you can stir up love in them. Sometimes I spend more time trying to figure out what will be a funny, sarcastic comment. So God gave me my wife. My wife does not get sarcasm at all. When she tries to do it, I'm weeping at home for how mean that was. And she says, you just can't take it. I said, no, babe, you don't know how to do it. You don't get sarcasm at all. Don't don't try, try to practice that. And I recognize because he gives me, he gave me a wife who can stir up love in anyone, any day, any minute. You need to be stirred up, just call Kat. Call her. By the time you're done, she has fired people when she used to work. She fired people and afterwards they were happy about it. (laughs) I'm not lying. She, She fired them, they walk out, you know, and they're like, wow, you know. Life just is incredible. (laughs) Because she has the ability to stir up love. And what the Word of God is calling us to is the Word of God is telling us that is how we need to be. Literally, He's saying provoke love. Figure out how to provoke love in one another. Let us consider how to stir up love and good works. We want to see love and good works working in the life of the believer. So what are the prerequisites for, the, for us to do this? Well, here's one. You've got to be together in order to encourage somebody. Now, you probably, if you've ever heard this taught before, you probably heard, well, you've got to go to church. Look, I don't care if you go to church or you don't go to church. That's on you. But you've got to get together with believers. I don't care if you get together with believers and go skiing. 
I don't care if you get together with believers and go hiking or camping. You get together with believers and consider deeply how to encourage them to love each other. How to encourage them to do good things, good works for one another. You encourage them, but you can't withdraw yourself. What was the problem? Some people withdraw themselves from believers. And they sit on a little island of self and they think, I've got this all handled. I'm going to stay here on my little island of self and everything will be great. No, it's not. You're the first one to go. When the wolf pack is following the elk, which one is it picking off? The big burly one right in the middle of the, of the herd? No. Which one is it picking off? The dumb one on an island saying, I don't need all those guys. I don't need none of those guys. I, I got this all handled by myself. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Let us have communion with Him. Let us hold fast to God. And let's get together with God's people. And encourage them to love each other. To stir up love and good works. Listen to the last phrase, because this is important for next week. And so much more as you see the day approach. What day? Listen, don't... Don't miss this. As you see the day approach, look, I'm going to tell you what that day is. That day is the judgment of God. The judgment of God is coming. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Everybody has a judgment. Unbelievers have one. Different. Believers have one. Different. But we're all going to have it. We're all going to stand before the King. We're all going to give account. And listen to what he says in the next two verses. We're not going to talk about them. We're going to come to them next week. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Ask yourself, do we draw near? Am I holding fast? Do I consider my brothers in an effort to stir up love and good works? Are we spending time with the people of God? You have one life to live. One chance to make it count. One judgment with your Savior. How are you going to live it? I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I stepped over the line and the decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished with and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, Chintzy giving and dwarf goals. I no longer need the preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. The road is narrow, and the way is rough, and my companions are few. But my guide is... He's reliable. My mission, it's clear. 
I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity. I will not meander. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I must go until heaven returns. I must give until I drop. Preach until all know. And work until He comes. And when He comes for His own, He will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, as you are exhorting us in light of all that you have done and given for us, you are exhorting us to have a desire for communion with you, to have this incredible commitment or surrender to you, that I hold on to you for all I'm worth. You are calling us, Lord, to consider how we can stir up one another, encourage one another, build up one another. God, you're asking us to do all this in light of a coming judgment. And the reality that lays out before us what we talked about earlier this morning as we took communion. If you will judge yourself, you will not be judged. For we're not going to fool you, Lord. We're not going to be able to pretend our way in. You are calling us to a radical life surrendered to Christ. You're calling us to make a break from our sin and to cling to you. To make declaration that you are the most important thing in our lives. That we hold fast to who you are and what you have done. And as we hold fast to you, God, you have better things for us than the concern for those who will not endure, for those who do not want to walk with you, for those who have not allowed the gospel to change their life. God, I pray that we are able to hear what you're declaring to us. That we are to cling to you, desire you, and love one another. And those are the things that make us your disciple. I pray it's the heart of everyone in this place this morning to just look deep. Am I real? Or am I lying? Am I holding on to my sin and making excuses? Or have I turned from my sin and I'm holding fast to Jesus? Has God given me a new heart? Do I have a heart of flesh that desires Him, that's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience? Have you washed me? In the blood of the Lamb. Man. 
there is an important day coming when everyone, man, woman, and child, will stand before their Maker. That's a bad day to stand and wonder whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So God gives a scripture like this, and he says, Consider, think deeply, cling to me. I will give you new heart and new desires. For if you love me, I will put my desire in your heart. That's what the word declares. God, I pray that you would do a perfect work in and through us. And whatever, God, if our hand's in that box and we're holding on to some marble, something we think, I just got to have this thing, whatever it is. God, I pray that at the, at, at the bottom of our heart, we would be able to declare, Lord, I want you more than this. Or maybe I still struggle, but I want you more than this. I got to be able to make that declaration. I want you. I want to sit up on my father's lap. I want to look into his eyes, a father that I barely talk to. I want to look into his eyes. I want to tell him I love you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Change my heart. Because that's what it means to draw near. And I pray that we would lay aside whatever hinders us. So that we can have that moment. Because once you have it, you're not ever going to want to go back. God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.